listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. This morning we're making a shift in the book of Daniel and Daniel 7. The first half of the book of Daniel was awesome as far as just covering some major themes, some great stories, but now we're seeing a a shift take place. The first one to six chapters were basically historical narratives, and and, and we love those stories about Daniel and his friends and their desire to stay faithful and remain faithful to God in a hostile environment. And and now in chapter 7 to 12, there's a change, and it goes from actual historical events to future events, and we get a picture of the history of the world. We're going to see here in these next few chapters, and especially today, an out, kind of a, a outline of things yet to come, and, and what we can anticipate, and what we need to take warning of, and be concerned about, and be excited about. And so, in the first few chapters, Daniel, he, we're getting some history, uh, but now we're getting some history that is yet to come, the history of the world. And so, uh, there's this major shift that's taking place in this book. But even though this, this change happens, the overall theme of this book does not change. And, and, and this is the overall theme that we see in the book. We see the sovereignty of God. Kids write this down. Parents write this down. Basically, it's what we've been saying throughout this series, that God is large and he's in charge. He's large in charge over world events. He's large and in charge over the events that you are facing right now. The things that you walked in here today, and I know some of you have already talked to some of you. You are concerned and you're worked up about things that are happening in this world, in your life, in your health, and in, in your finances, whatever it is. Folks, we got to believe it. We, God is large and in charge. Kids, he's large and in charge in your life and always will be as we adhere to his word, as we trust him, and as we obey him, as we desire to live a life like young Daniel did throughout his years, faithful to God along with his friends. And so we see that God is large and in charge. And so we want to remember that. And he's in charge of the details of your life even today. On Friday, I went up to Knox Mountain. Didn't go up all the way. It was a little too far. Uh, but I, and I didn't walk. I drove. And, uh, went up there, and, and I snapped a few pictures. Um, I was in a hurry. There was still sermon preparation still to do, you know. And so, and, uh, so anyways, headed up there. And just with my phone, I took a number of pictures. And you're going to see the three style of pictures that I took. First of all, the f- one on top is a square photo setting. It, it, it just says square. And it's basically a, a square box of Kelowna. The next one is kind of the normal setting. And then the bottom one is a panoramic view of what I was able to see. And so you see these three different photo images and, and uh, from, you know, this, this square kind of small narrow range to a normal setting that lets you see a little bit more to the panoramic that allows you to see a wide swath from one end to another. And I could have even gone even larger if I would have wanted. I could have done a full 360, but you would have then seen Shayon standing there. And sometimes those images can look a little funny. And so, anyways, you end up seeing so much more here. And, and folks, I think that so oftentimes we are living our lives like we're living in the top box there. This small little box, we're all squared away, and we're so focused on this little box of our lives here right now, and the issues we're facing, the things that are happening to us, and what this relative did, and what this person said, and what's going on with our health, or with our finances, or, you know, and, and we get so worked up about this... I went driving on Friday with our son. He's getting ready for, he's going to go this week, pray for him. He's going to go for his end test. And, and, um, and, and so he wanted to do some parking in the parking lot uh, at a no- local school just to get some practice. And uh, he's doing well. 
but the vehicle wasn't doing so well. And it was starting to show some signs. And next thing you know, I was so bugged and I was so ticked off because it's just like, really? Really? This is kind of the last thing I need right now is to figure out what is wrong with this silly old car and how I'm going to fix it and what I'm going to do. And great, more money. And you start getting all, do you ever get like that? Worked up over really insignificant things. Do you? Yeah, a good place to be honest, like church is a great place to do that because maybe we can find some, some help and healing together. We will find some help and healing. But so often we look at everything in this small little box or maybe we can take a little bit bigger. But today we're going to see, and, and we get so worked up. And I believe that out of all the people in this world who should not be grumpy, Christians, we kind of win that category oftentimes. We're grumpy. I mean, we should be the last people walking into church, walking into a small group, walking into, you know, the workplace, wherever it is, and like, hi, how are you? Oh, I had a hard day. This is hard, and this is difficult, and, you know, and it's just like, yes, because we're looking in the little box. And we, of all people, have a grand panoramic view of what God has for us, the future that's in store. And if anyone should be amped up, excited, and no, I only had four cups of coffee this morning. You're right. And so, you know, and, and so I, that's, that's not the coffee. I was pumped up even before that. I fell asleep last night. After 15 minutes, I woke up, and I already felt I slept the whole night. So then I looked, and I thought, I have six more hours. Yes, so I am ready to go. I, you know, and, 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 but as you see this, folks, we're so squared away. We're a bunch of square-living people. And today I trust that as we look to God's word, we're going to see a panoramic view of what God has done, how his word is reliable, and how our future is secure. And our future is amazing. So today, can we vote down square living? Square, small living over small little issues and things in our lives that get us? Can we vote down the easily discouraged kind of lifestyle that we so oftentimes can gravitate to? And can we say yes to God's plan for our lives today? and tomorrow, and for eternity. We simply get so consumed with square box living when God has so much more. These, these books in chapter 7 to 12 of Daniel are uh, just, just give us the panoramic view of what God has in store for us as his children. They give us a description of what is to come. It is a wake-up call, folks, to stop living square box small lives and to put our trust and our faith and our obedience and our confidence in him and his word. And so here in chapter 7 is an incredible, one of the best panoramic views of scripture that we'll get of what is yet to come. And this was written, this was mind-blowing, this was written 2,500 years ago. Written 2,500 years ago and it is as accurate, it has been as accurate and will show itself to be reliable and true in the future to come, right till the return of Christ. These chapters of scripture are called Bible prophecy. And a lot of times, as soon as you mention Bible prophecy, some people just start, um, you know, just, just uh, you know, sal 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 how do you say it? Sal salivating, there we go, salivating. And others are, you know, and, 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 and get a head rush and, and, and get, you know, blood pressure issues and, and all of that kind of things. Well, Bible prophecy, just under 25% of the entire Bible is prophecy. 
And some of that has already happened. Some of it has already happened, but there's much more to come. And in the Bible, there's 333 verses about Christ. 109 of those prophetic verses have already been fulfilled by his first coming. When he came as a child, and as he lived here on this earth, and as he died, prophecies telling us that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver, that his body would not see decay, that he would rise again from the dead. All of these are, are, are part of the 109 prophecies that took place in the life of Christ about his birth, about his life, about his death. But now 244, remember of the 333, our prophecies about his second coming about, are still yet to happen. And, and we're not there yet. And, and yet things are developing and moving towards this. And, and even Jesus, he even referred himself to his second coming to this earth. He referred to his second coming 21 times. And so Bible prophecy is throughout Scripture, and it's, it, there's a smattering of it all throughout. And so Bible prophecy is a big part of Scripture. Another thing about Bible prophecy is it gives us a sketch of the future. Now, it doesn't give us the exact details. Very much like Bible prophecy is taking pieces of puzzles, and, and pe puzzle pieces, and trying to place them together and, and realize, now, is this from a different puzzle? Or, you know, how does this all fit together? And, and so it doesn't give us all the exact detail. The Bible also doesn't give us the exact act as you, you study Bible prophecy in the Bible, it doesn't give us clear chronological orders of events, no matter how much some pastors try to lay it all out. In, in some regard, in one way or another, we're all going to be wrong when it comes to how we are guessing or how we are seeing these Bible, seeing Bible prophecy. It, 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 it's, it, it's like that puzzle that I mentioned. And so there's so much conjecture and debate amongst Bible scholars and Christians about Bible prophecy, and that's good, but let's not get so caught up on it that we're so minded on this kind of thing that we're missing out on the commission and the call that God has for us. Bible prophecy or apocalyptic writings um, are filled with all kinds of vivid imagery, and we're going to see some of that today. Kids, you chose a great Sunday to be here with us from Harvest Kids because we're going to see some pretty incredible vivid imagery, and, and this is just the start of some of the vivid imagery you see throughout the Word of God when it comes to Bible prophecy. Now, Bible prophecy is, is to be read differently than other parts of the scripture. It's even different than poetry that you'll see in, in, in the Psalms. It's different in how we look at it and read it and understand it, interpret it, according to even some of the uh, Pentateuch, the, the Old Testament, or the Gospels, or the Epistles. We must read it and interpret it differently and, and very carefully when it comes to that. Bible prophecy also points to a very cataclysmic event. This story is moving towards something. Something, the story of your life, the story of, what is it today? April the 28th, 2018, has a part to play in the day that God is moving everything towards an incredible cataclysmic event that is going to happen here on this earth, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Another thing about Bible prophecy is it requires humility. Some of the things I might say here and some of the views that I have might contradict what you have been told or what you have personally studied and what you believe. And so it requires humility that we don't have all the answers. I'm not claiming I have this all figured out. The more you dig into Bible prophecy, it, prophecy it's just like, you know, trying, uh, I mean, it, it, you just keep going and, and, and there's so many parts to it and so many things to figure out and so a lot of conjecture and, and yet it requires humility. There's a, going to be no doubt areas where as we even go through today and through the days ahead, we may just have to simply agree to disagree on some items. For example, when will the rapture of the church occur? Is it pre, post, or mid? 
Where are you at in that? Or the millennial reign? Again, there's various views when we come to, that, um, to, to those main things, a, a part of Bible prophecy. We can get so caught up in all of the pre, post, or mid, or, or whatever it might be. I, I tend to love to hold the pan view. It's, it's kind of a newer view. Uh, have you, how many of you have ever heard the pan view when it comes to scripture? It's not pre or post or, 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 or mid or anything like that, the pan view. Well, the pan view is that it's all gonna pan out in the end. It is. It just is. So, you know, that's just a great, great, great place to, to hold on to and, and to know, or I like what Pastor Craig from Harvest Oakville, when he was out here a few weeks ago, and he said something about uh, very much, he, he takes the pro view. He's the pro view when it comes to that. Very pro Christ's return. Very pro rapture. And, uh, and so it's all working towards something. And yet 50 times in scripture, the Bible commands us, be ready, be aware, be awake, be alert. Don't just like, ho oh, hum, you know, just kind of go through the motions. No, we got to be ready. We need to be prepared. We need to be checking our hearts. We need to see what's going on in our world. We, we keep one eye in the word of God. We keep it in the news. We, we follow some, some solid Bible teachers that can help us and, and to teach us in these areas. And so we live with an expectancy. We need to be ready. Are you ready? If, if the rapture, if Christ was to return for his church today, would you be ready? And that's something we need to be aware of because it could happen. We are to live with expectancy that the return of Christ or the rapture of the church could happen at any time. Bible prophecy gives us hope to re, to, uh, of the great reminder and the message theme here today is that the best is yet to come. No matter through what we are, no, no matter the incredible experiences of good and amazing and awesome that you've experienced here on this earth, the far best is yet to come. Anything we've experienced here won't even touch what eternity has and what God has for his children. And so, you know, as we look even at our world, however, we look at the headlines from this past week, and I was going to put a whole bunch of uh, headlines up there, but I decided with kids being in here that, that we just wouldn't go down uh, that road because you look through the headlines of a given week, and it's horrific, the things that have happened. What took place just, just a few days ago in, in Toronto the Bill Cosby verdict. Our world is sick. It's sick, 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 and it's spinning out of control, or it would seem that way. And yet God said in his word that all of this would happen. And, and then we see this amazing, amazing, out of nowhere, North and South Korea uniting, and, and this weirdness, it's, it's, it's amazing and people are blown away it's like where did this happen and and everyone trying to trade credit for it and different things like that going on and and yet this is something i don't know where this all fits with bible prophecy i haven't figured that all yet uh, all out yet and i don't know exactly how it will but one thing it does show us that nations can come together and nations can 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 separate in in matters of days just in no time. And so you may think, oh, we've got some time. You know, like, like the, 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 there's a bit of a time. Oh, look how fast this happened. I mean, where did that come out of? Who saw that coming? God did. And you see, God gave Daniel these dreams here, starting in chapter 7, these dreams and visions when he was at a point of doubt and confusion. Are you at some doubt and confusion of, about God being in control of this world or in your life or your circumstances? Then you're, you're feeling very much like Daniel because no doubt he was at this point in his life as well as he watched his nation, supposedly God's chosen people, the Israelites, be taken into captivity because of their constantly wandering hearts. 
The capital city, the holy city, Jerusalem, laying in ruins, the temple destroyed, Daniel and his friends taken in, into captivity. And then there was that glimmer of hope. Remember in, in chapter 2 when Nebuchadnezzar had that enlightened moment after crawling around on the, on the ground like a cow for seven years? And, and, and then all of a sudden it was like, hey, he's a, he believes. He's, he's a believer. He's a believer in God. And then his grandson Belshazzar takes over as king. And what a mess. What a dysfunctional mess things turned out to be with him. And so here for Daniel, things seem hopeless and he's wondering what's going on. And the question no doubt came into Daniel's mind just as it may come into our mind. It's just like, God, where are you? God, what's happening? God, have you turned your back on us? Have you given up on us? Are you really large and in charge or, or is that just a nice little statement? And so God gives Daniel these dreams and I believe he's giving us the revelation of his scripture is a church even here for us to take and examine these truths and examine this scripture passage here today and we see what God has in store. We see very much God is in charge. God is still on the throne. And he goes on to tell Daniel kind of what's going to be happening, kind of an outline of the things to come and of the glorious future that awaits for the children of God. And so... Even for Daniel, he was no doubt living in the square box. And God is giving him the panoramic view that the best is yet to come. And so let's take a look at this panoramic view that we get from God. And it's going to go back 2,500 years, we're going to see it. And then it's going to take us till the return of Christ, until God is seated on the throne and Jesus comes in all of his glory. But the first thing we see here, earthly kingdoms come and go, but the best is yet to come. Write that down. That's the first point that we want to talk about here this morning. And we're going to see that here in, in the start of, uh, the, as we read here, starting in verse 1. Earthly kingdoms come and go, but remember the best is yet to come. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Now, the four winds is commonly used throughout Scripture in, in denoting, in helping us to understand the working of God, that God is the one stirring up this great sea, great sea by the winds. And so the wind of God is the hand, the working of God. And what's he stirring up? The great sea, which is oftentimes in reference to the sea of humanity. And so this is God's thing. God is stirring up the kingdoms. God is allowing. He's building up, raising up one kingdom and bringing down another. And so let's continue to read here. So this is a work of God stirring up the nations. Verse 3, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different ones from, from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made it to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear, it raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked and behold, another, like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. And in verse 7, it says, After this I saw in, in, in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had, a great iron, it had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up from them another horn, a little one. 
before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. Now, these four beasts described to us actually correspond with the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. Remember that in Daniel 2? He had this, this great dream, and, and it, it had the four different elements to it, representing the four different kingdoms. Well, in the same way, this dream, this vision that Daniel had, actually corresponds very much to the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. But isn't it interesting how man sees the things of this earth and sees beauty and strength and in the form of an appealing statue. And then look how God looks at our world. Looks how God looks at our earthly kingdoms. <laughs> a savage beast. But isn't that true? Isn't our world, isn't our governmental system so often so corrupt and they're like savage beasts? The beasts and the four metals represent four sections Four sections of the statue, four kingdoms, four beasts. And, and so we see this parallel here in this. And so we're going to take a look uh, one by one here at these four beasts that he sees because it's very significant and it is amazing because it's God's word. And so the first beast, beast, and um, you can even write down some of these notes if you want here, as, as you see the description of the, the beast. In verse 4, we see, is like a lion with eagle's wings. Now, a lion speaks of supremacy, strength, and, and, and moves with speed and the strength and the speed also of an eagle. This speaks of King Nebuchadnezzar and, and the Babylonian Empire that conquered the world with great swiftness. But notice it says that the wings were plucked off. Its wings were clipped. And, and, and then it also says, but then it stood on two feet. And it had like the mind of a man was given to it. So this savage lion turns into a man. After its wings have been clipped. How does this happen? Well, I mean, isn't this the story of King Nebuchadnezzar? This is the story of how a man was crazy and a man was all about himself, but then God humbled him, had his wings plucked out, and was given the mind of a man. He was able to stand once again. He was no longer on all fours like the wild uh, ox uh, cow that he was um, eating grass. And God restored him. God humbled him but, and sidelined him for seven years, but then God restored him. And so we see the similarity, and in the way that a lion devoured the land, that's the way the Babylonian, Babylonian Empire moved to conquer its, its territory. The second beast, the bear, that is raised up on one side, uh, we see that it mentions it's raised up on one side, it has three ribs in its mouth, represent the Medo-Persian Empire. Uh, now, now, bears are not known for their swiftness, but they're known for their strength, just even recently, we went on a hike, and, and uh, the topic uh, came up that there could very well be a bear, and that bear could be very hungry from hibernation. And, and, but I wasn't concerned, because I looked around, and I realized I wasn't the slowest person there. I sized up the competition, and I knew who I could outrun, and so I just kind of like, hey, nothing to worry about. I knew I wasn't the fastest, but I definitely knew I wasn't the slowest. And, and so, you know, I figured I'm good. You know, and, and so a bear isn't the fastest animal compared to a lion, but they're strong. And when they get what they want to devour, they will make fast action of it. This is the characteristic, as history shows us, of the Medo-Persian Empire. They were slower in their conquest. They weren't nearly as fast as the Babylonians when it came to conquering the land. But they were slow, but they were calculated, and they were savage. Um, they defeated countries and became the world-dominant empire by sheer brute strength. But they moved slowly. 
but powerfully. This is interesting. Uh, as history, secular history tells us that, that even as they went to war, they would take their families with them because they knew they were going to be gone a long time. And so it would be like, hey, honey, you know, pack up the bags. We're, we're going camping, you know, going camping, and we're going to do a little hunting along the way. We're going to take over a few countries. So come on, honey and kids, we're going camping, and let's head out. And so they move slowly, but they move powerfully, just like a bear. Now, notice that it was, it says, raised up on one side. And that's because uh, one of the countries, the, there was a coalition kingdom between the Medes and the Persians, and the Persians were stronger than the Medes. So even this just shows that the strength, that, that it was a little uneven in its authority. And yet, God's word tells us that, that this, and it's true, uh, what ended up taking place here. And it and, um, and also has the ribs in its mouth, just showing that it can devour uh, at great, um, with great power. The third beast, it says, is like a leopard with four wings and four heads. Now, a leopard is fast. And it even has four wings that even makes it speed upon speed. So the leopard now with the wings can even move faster. And this speaks of the Grecian Empire, the one that was led by Alexander the Great. And history tells us he conquered the world in 13 years. At record pace, he was able to conquer the world. Amazing. At the age of 33, he was done. And he was bored. Because there's no more worlds, no more areas, no more regions yet to conquer. And again, secular history tells us that this led him to a life of drunkenness. One historian even writes that, that, that the one night in a drunken stupor, he was left outside in the cold. He got sick and died a few days later. He died at a young age, died at the age of 33. And there was no succession plan in place, so his, his country, his region, the world was divided up amongst four of his generals, hence the four heads. And again, we just see this taking place. And this was written way before. The fourth beast... And he can't even describe this one. He just calls this the beast. He has nothing to compare this one to. It's horrible. It's dreadful. It's strong. It has huge teeth. This beast represents the Roman Empire. Like the beast of the Roman Empire was strong and mighty, just like this beast was. And it produced a lot of fear and dread. It brought peace, but it was a legislated peace. The Roman Empire was able to grind people into powder and they conquered all regions. They even went into modern-day Europe, countries like Germany and Switzerland and England. They grew slowly as they took nation after nation, and even then their power diminished slowly, as we see in history. They were an empire unlike none other, this savage beast. Now let's skip down to verse 15 because we get the interpretation. It says, As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me as I approached one of... Uh, I approached one of those who stood there, and this would have been an angel, and asked him the truth concerning all of this. He told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who will, shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. So these are the great four kingdoms of, of the earth. And, and here again, we, we just see even the years that they were uh, around. The Babylonian Empire didn't even last 70 years. The Medo-Persian Empire didn't even last 200 years. The Grecian Empire, 180 years or less. And the Roman Empire at its apex, at its strength, was about six or 700 years. 
which is an amazing, amazing period of time. However, what we will see in Bible prophecy, we'll even see here, a restoration of the Roman Empire, that the Roman Empire may, it may seem like it is dead, but it isn't. It will come alive, and it will have new life in the form of these ten horns that are represent, or the ten toes of the statue. And this speaks of a confederation of ten nations that will join together and play an important role in Bible prophecy. And what this reminds us, folks, and I encourage you to write this down, is God's word is trustworthy and sure. And it reminds us that the best is yet to come. Daniel had this dream 2,500 years ago, and it has all happened. This happened 14 years before the Babylonian Empire would fall. And he watched it fall, and then everything has continued as God said it would happen. You see... Fulfilled prophecy is one of the greatest verifications and authenticity of the Word of God to show that the Bible is true. You have scientific evidence declaring that God's Word is accurate and true and reliable. Archaeological evidences continue as they continue to unearth history from the ground. Just, just everything just continues to keep, continue to keep showing the reliability of the Word of God. And you have secular history, again, authenticates the word of God. But fulfilled prophecy, even in what we are seeing here today, give us some of the greatest, greatest pictures of this, that we can trust the word of God. Folks, God's word is trustworthy because of what has happened, what he has said, what he has said has happened or is happening or will happen. And so the third thing we want to talk about is God will one day judge the world. But remember, the best is yet to come. It says that Daniel, he continues watching and the scene is radically changing. It's no longer about the beast on a throne or it's no longer about beasts. It's about a throne. And so in verse nine, it says, as I looked, thrones were placed and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was, a, was, was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. And the court sat in judgment and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with, the, with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Now what we're seeing here parallels the apocalyptic vision that John has in Revelation 4 and 5. And John gets a glimpse as well as Daniel of this glorious day. And the ancient of days, as we see here in this passage, is a description is, is ascribed to God the Father who sits on the throne. And, and how does it describe him? I mean, what a scene this would be. Try to paint this. I don't think you could. Clothing was white as snow, speaks of God's holiness and purity and righteousness. His hair, the hair of his head was like pure wool. Wisdom beyond all comparison. But then it also talks about the throne was fiery flames and wheels of burning fire. Speaks of his judgment, judgment with no restrictions. How God sees everything. God sees everything. He knows everything. He knows who's, who's checked in here this morning and who's checked out already. He knows all of these things. He knows what you're thinking. Uh, he knows what you're going to be thinking five years from now, ten years from now. He's, he's all-knowing. And everything is being recorded in his books. And here we see God speaks judgment and wrath. 
And we also see angels, myriads of angels, thousands and thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. And it says the books were open. And as I said, God keeps a record, a count of everyone. You know, sometimes you go into a dentist's um, office or a doctor's office, and, and, and I'm always amazed at the amount of files they have all over the place in the back. And it's like they're always, they've run out of space, and there's piled in boxes, and they get new, new files and all of this. And the doctors and, and, and dentists, they, they keep this record on all their patients. And I'm just thinking, how do they do that? Why don't they make an electronic copy? Well, I don't know what kind of copy, what, what, what kind of copies God's going to have, but he's got records on all of us. He's writing a book. And one day the book will be opened. And God will judge rightly and he will judge fairly. And when he opens the book on our life, what will he see? Will he see a red strip running down through it saying that your sins have been canceled because of the blood of Christ. We'll be marked with a big X through it, meaning that our sins have been forgiven. Because if it isn't there, the result is being assigned to the lake of fire forever. But we must also see that as believers that, that we will stand before God in judgment. The judgment seat of Christ, Romans 14 and, and 2 Corinthians 5 um, teaches us about this as well as other places in Scripture, but those are two main passages, Romans 14 and 2 Corinthians 5, where we as believers will be judged, not for our sin, because our sin has been atoned for and covered by the blood of Christ, but we will give an account for our lives, what we did do and what we didn't do, even our motives. We may think, oh, I've been busy. I, I, I can check mark a whole bunch of things, but were your motives for the gospel? Were your motives for God? Or were they motives to impress man, impress other people, to, to, to look good in front of others and, and, and to try to earn God's favor? God, God knows, knows our heart. He knows our motives and we'll be judged on that. And we will be given rewards and blessing based on that. We will be rewarded and blessed for all that we have done for God. Is the fruit of the gospel evident in our lives? Or is it just simply good works? The gospel is the motivation why we do good works. Because he has saved us. We want to we, we wanna serve him. We want to live not because we have to. Because we want to. We don't work and serve God for his approval. We work and serve God from his approval. For all that he's done. And now in verse 8, we see that this little horn, <laughs> I love this. I, I love how God's word just paints the devil, paints the Antichrist here. This little horn. And what do you see him doing in verse 8? He's still talking. He's just, you know, blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden, boom, he's taken out, destroyed. It's just like, enough. And that's what God will one day do. We also see this in Revelation 19 and 20. We see, see, see this on display now, we have to understand that there are many events that we're not covering in here that Daniel doesn't go into. We find this in other areas of Bible prophecy. And we're seeing, again, this panoramic view of what's taking place. We're seeing the nations. We're seeing the Antichrist, as we're going to talk about in a few moments. But we're also seeing God on the throne in victory, judging the world. And you see, folks, it's important that we realize that, that this is going to happen. It's, it's in the process of happening already as we speak. God will one day judge evil. The beast, the antichrist, Satan himself will be judged and destroyed forever and ever. And all God's people said, and maybe it's about time. <laughs> or hurry, come Lord Jesus. The fourth thing I encourage you to write down is Jesus will reign and that will be the best forever. Jesus will reign. 
Look what it says, I saw in the night visions and beheld with the clouds of heaven. There came, this is verse 13, there came one like the son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. One day, folks, one day this will happen. After many incredible and even horrific and sad things have taken place, one day our God will reign. And his saints, his children will reign with him, will reign with the Son. Reign with Jesus. All world empires will come to an end. Jesus will return, establish his kingdom in every and people from every tribe and tongue and nation. This is what Philippians 2, this is what Paul was looking forward to. He says, so at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Daniel was able to see that one day, one day this would happen. One day there would be the final empire and this would be a fair and a right and a beautiful and amazing and a glorious and no words could fully describe what this would be like. The end. I would love to stop and close in prayer, but I can't because we're not done with this passage. See, this all would have been so nice if Daniel would have just left it like this. But oh no, he could You know that person that, you know, you're wanting to leave. You know, maybe you're, you're visiting with someone and you're wanting to leave. You, you're getting tired. And then your spouse ends up asking your host one more question. And you're like, oh boy, here we go. We're going to be here forever. Well, it would have been so nice if Daniel would have just ended here, but oh no, couldn't stop Daniel. In verse 19, it says, and then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast. And it's like, oh boy. Okay, Daniel, you asked for it. And so write this down. However, things will get worse before they get better. But remember, the best is yet to come. Verse 19, then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. 20 and about the 10 horn, or, or, or verse 20, we're down to now, and, and about the 10 horns there were on its head, and then the other horn that came up from before, which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things. And that seemed greater than its companions. And as I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came. And judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And, time, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it into pieces. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and will wear out the saints and the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. 
And folks, here what we are seeing is a description of the Antichrist, referred to as the little horn. We may look a little later on at this beast, this horn, in future weeks, but here in just a short version as we close here this morning, we're going to see a revived Roman Empire. We're going to see with these ten horns. What is that? With ten horns or ten toes, according to the statue, which points to a confederation of ten nations. Three of those members, just like so quickly like what we've seen with Korea, three of those members are going to be displaced and one little horn rises from them all. This little horn, the Antichrist, will be satanically empowered, will be possessed by the devil himself, not a demon, but the devil himself. And here's what we know from other passages, Revelation 19 and other places, that this little horn, the beast, will be a political and a military genius. In three and a half years, he will rule the world with full authority. He will control the world's economy. He will make war on the saints. And you say, oh, hold it, time out. I thought we were out of here by then. I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm pre-trib. And, 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 and isn't Christ going to rapture the church out of here at this time? Well, again, it depends. Are you pre, mid, trib, you know, uh, or post-trib? Where are you at with that? that that's something that, that you need to decide with the Lord. But one thing we do know is Scripture tells us there will be saints going through the tribulation. Now, that may be tribulation saints, people who've come to know Christ, Jews that have turned their hearts towards Jesus Christ, and this is who they're talking about. Uh, you need to study God's word, and I'm not going to give you the answers to that. You need to study that. One thing we also know about the, about the Antichrist is that he will be a great orator. He will speak and people will follow. Can you imagine living in a world that somebody gets up and gives just this amazing speech and then just everyone votes for him? Can you imagine living in a world like that? Like, do we ever see that today? <laughs> I mean, it's coming. I mean, people rise to power in nations and countries and they're like, we didn't see that coming. But if the economy's good... If you promise great and wonderful things, we'll vote for you. I don't care if it's the devil himself. If I've got money in the bank, I'll vote for him. That's the way our world is going. He will speak and blaspheme the most high God. He will claim to be God. He will display miraculous power. And he will demand that all people worship him. But this is the good news. His reign will be limited and he will be righteously judged and destroyed. In verse 27. It says, and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. Case closed. God wins. The best has come. But look at what Daniel says. He says, as for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed but I kept the matter in my heart. See, one day, true believers, people who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior will reign with Christ, will reign forever and ever. And listen, listen to Revelation 21. And then I heard a loud voice from heaven, from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. The best is yet to come. Amen? But notice what Daniel's response is. Why is he saddened about this? 
says, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed. In fact, what he's saying here is I got sick. This made him sick, this news. And just like the Apostle John, as you read in Revelation 20, and he's talking about the scrolls and he sees that when he takes and, and he takes the scrolls kind of in a figurative way, he puts it in his mouth and he says, oh, as he's talking about the end time kind of things in a similar way, it tasted so sweet in his mouth, but then he said it was bitter in my stomach. It's the sweetness in our mouth knowing that one day Christ shall reign and that we will one day reign with him and God will be our God forever and ever. But the bitter part in the stomach is knowing the destruction and the damnation for all those who reject him here on this earth forever and ever without hope. It's so sweet and yet it is so bitter that it should make us excited and knowing that God has a plan and if we're his child, it's taken care of. We are his children and now we are on mission for him but it should also grieve us to the fact of the destruction that is coming to those who do, know, do not know him. And once again, we live our small little squared off lives consumed about ourselves, our bank accounts, our position in life, what other people think about us, our health, our cars. We get worked up about scratches in the car, stains on the carpet, scratches on the new hardwood. Really? Really, when we get that panoramic view of all that, that, that is to come, when we understand as we were worshiping here this, this morning about what Christ has done for us so that we can escape what is to come for those who do not trust him, that we would know him. Folks, this ought to rearrange our lives. This ought to wake us up. This should change our mood to a seriousness and yet a joy knowing that God, God's large and in charge. But it also puts us on a mission that we need to do something about. We need to get the word out. We need to live our lives. Quit hiding our, the light of the gospel under a bushel, under a covering, and we need to declare him and live him and proclaim him and Share him with others. You know, as Canadians, we watched that Humboldt Bronco team tragedy that unfolded just three weeks ago, just a little over three weeks ago. Such a sad situation. And I'm so thankful for that chaplain on the right-hand side there that you would see, you see pictured there on the screen, for the way that he pounded out the gospel there at that vigil that Sunday night. McLean's magazine took and printed the whole transcript in their online edition. Folks, he declared the gospel. Where was God? Why did he allow this to happen? He tackled this tough stuff and answered in such a beautiful and a gospel-filled, gospel-centered way. You want to know how to lead someone through hard times? Go and re-watch that. You can find it on YouTube. You can download the transcript. Beautiful, beautiful. I was telling a pastor about that when I was in Romania. I was a Canadian pastor. It was Pastor Ravi, actually. And and we were talking about that and just how this guy, what, I mean, this is far greater than, I mean, it went across Canada on so many networks and was replayed on social media over and over again. And praise the Lord for that. But Pastor Robbie said, he says, but you know what, you understand that this all, this also made that many more people in our nation accountable. They've heard the truth. They've heard the gospel. And they have to respond. And if they don't, it's what we're talking about here today, eternity separated from God forever. And folks, I think that we can take that reality and, and just even, and Tim Challies wrote in an article about that, about these young men who 
who heard the gospel. And the coach, a Christian man, told the chaplain, he said, yeah, we want to build character into these boys. You know how we're going to do it? We're going to give them Jesus. We're going to give them Jesus. And, and the coach told the chaplain, just give them Jesus, give them Jesus. But how many of those boys listened? Those boys were excited about their careers, about a hockey career, about uh, you know, pursuing the dream, pursuing girls, pursuing an education, all the things that a young person may pursue. These boys were in it. Did they hear the gospel? Did they respond to it? Or did they think later on? You see, one of the greatest dangers is that we hear truths, we even believe them, we're convicted by them, and we do nothing about it. So what about the truth that we're talking about here today? Have we heard the truth? Are we convicted that this is going to happen? And are we going to do something about it? Are there things we need to repent of? Are we living in this square, narrow box with our finances, with our time, with our treasure? How much time do we give God? Does God get even a 5% time in our week? Combine that with, with any Christian service that you might do within the church or outside the church or in your time alone with the Word of God. And how much does Facebook get? How much does Instagram, how much does television shows, even Christian shows that you know, are good or on, on Pure Flex or whatever it is, are we giving our time, are we giving our resources to what's really, truly going to matter? I pray that we would be stirred to get over ourselves and respond to the gospel call. Stop living such small, self-centered, negative, grumpy, in-focused, self-centered lives and live lives for the gospel because we see this panoramic view of what God has for us and it's going to be awesome. But he's also given a mission, the Great Commission, to go and to declare Jesus, to make disciples. You see, God promises salvation, but he doesn't promise us tomorrow. God promises that he will meet us when we come to him, but that may not be, that's today. He says in his word, if you hear his word, don't harden your heart. Loved ones, by hearing these words today, you and I, and especially me, we're accountable. Would we heed the warnings from God's word? I pray that we would be stirred in our souls, excited in our worship and thankful for all that God has done, but this would, this would propel us to, to make some changes and some, maybe some major changes. Maybe, maybe you need to leave the work you're doing and you need to pursue what God's doing. You know Andrew Murray, you don't see him around here anymore. He went to Bible school. He went for one year, single guy, early 30s, thinking, you know, I, go to go, I want to go for one year of Bible school. He's always, he said, the Lord, you know, just has seen fit for me to do this. Next thing you know, we're not going to see him again for a long time. He's going to go for four years. He's rearranging his life. He's responding to the call that God has for him. Praise the Lord for that. And I pray that we would all respond to the call that God has for us. Let's pray together. Lord, in light of what you have for us, we praise you and thank you. We thank you that as believers in Christ, that our future is secure. We are bound for glory. We are bound for glory. And if we truly appreciate and understand that we also understand that we've got to get the news out there. We've got to rearrange our lives. We've got to stop living square box lives and we've got to look at the panoramic view. And I pray that there would be repentance in this room and in this week there would be an examination of our life and our priorities and all that we are doing and say, God, I surrender, it's all yours. We were singing a little while ago about how we give it all to you, God. I pray we were just singing that not in lies but in faith. In faith that we will surrender everything to you. And the great thing about you, when we give it all to you, you have a way of blessing and restoring and giving life like we could never know. 
May we not hoard what we've been given. May we be generous with all that we've done, our time, our treasure, our talents, for your kingdom's sake. Oh God, I pray for the discouraged today. May they get their eyes out of that small box. People just amped up over dumb things, myself included, dumb cars and dumb problems with them. And get my eyes fixed on what you would have and even look at these dumb problems as opportunities for maybe gospel effectiveness to talk with a mechanic about you, whatever it might be. Oh God, would we be sold out for you because of the future that awaits?